morning, everyone. It's really good to see you here this morning. Hope or despair? Which is more appealing? It's, a, it's an easy question. On the 18th of uh, July, the first day of the English summer school holidays, the Northern Echo, which is a newspaper based in Newcastle-upon-Tyne, it ran this headline, A World in Need of Hope. It was a short article, but here's how it started. War, fatalities, swine flu, terrorism, extremism, recession, redundancies, floods. The world is not a happy place at the moment, but there is always hope. And the journalist, in that brief introduction, he accurately reflects the realities of the world that we live in, but thankfully he injects that final phrase, but there is always hope. Because we need, we desperately need to know that there is hope. In fact, someone has gone as far as to say that without hope, we are only half alive. And I think that's a really interesting perspective. But the obvious question I have whenever I read phrases like that is this, in what? In what is our hope? What offers it? What provides it? Where can you and I go? Where can our society go to find hope? Here's how the article continued, and it offered these suggestions. Hope that our brave soldiers can help Afghanistan reach a brighter future. Hope that the economy has reached the bottom and is about to start improving. Hope that a vaccination and Tamiflu can save us from the worst of the epidemic. Hope that on this, the first day of the school summer holidays, the sun might shine again. Hope to, for 15-year-old Rihanna Johnson, it is hope that has been created by the selfless sacrifice of her mother Nicola, who is to give her one of her kidneys. And I was struck as I read that article about the diversity of the sources of hope, from the love of a mum right through to the prospect of and the longing for better weather. And the Northern Echo ended that article with this comment. Hope is that most precious of commodities to which we all need to cling in these troubled times. And how true is that? That we all need to hang on to hope because it's such a critical ingredient of life. But where we go to find it and what actually provides it for us is incredibly important because, for example, what happens when you hope that the sun might shine and yet you get up to another day like this. Does it mean that all hope is gone? So where do you put your hope this morning? Well, that's the key question that appears in our psalm for this morning. Where do I put my hope? Cries the writer of Psalm 39, which is our our alternative iTunes for today. Now, someone has said that the theme of hope is so evident in great music, in great poetry and in great art. And there's no doubt that the subject of hope permeates the great music and poetry and art that are the Psalms. And Psalm 39 is one example, but as you read it, you quickly discover that this is a slightly strange psalm. It's a definite lament, but it's a lament with a difference. Hands up if you can remember Sesame Street. Okay, brilliant. 
Well, one of the regular features in that classic TV program was whenever they showed you a collection of things where one was different from the rest, and then they sang a line. Who can tell me what that line was? One of these things is not like the other. Brilliant. Well, you you could have sang that. Uh, One of these things is not like that. Well, you could almost sing that line whenever you come to compare Psalm 39 with the other 149 of Psalms. In fact, as we're about to see, Psalm 39 might be better placed or more at home in the book of Ecclesiastes. Because the thoughts and the reflections and the conclusions that David reaches in Psalm 39 are incredibly similar to those found and those expressed by the searcher, by Solomon, by David's son in Ecclesiastes. And what I would like us to do is, I would like us to start, this is going to be slightly strange this morning. This is not going to be a neat sermon that ties lots of ends up. In fact, you may be left this morning with more questions than answers. But for me, that's okay. So let me encourage you to stand with me and we're going to read this psalm together. This is taken from the New Living Translation. But as I say, I would like us to stand together and all read it together, okay? Sorry, the, the type is maybe a bit small for those at the back. But let's read this together, thoughtfully. I said to myself, I will watch what I do and not sin in what I say. I will hold my tongue when the ungodly are around me. But as I stood there in silence, not even speaking of good things, the turmoil within me grew worse. The more I thought about it, the hotter I got, igniting a fire of words. Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, each of us is but a breath. We are merely moving shadows, and all our busy rushing ends in nothing. We heap up wealth not knowing who will spend it. And so, Lord, where do I put my hope? My only hope is in you. Rescue me from my rebellion. Do not let fools mock me. I am silent before you. I won't say a word, for my punishment is from you. But please stop striking me. I am exhausted by the blows from your hand. When you discipline us for our sins, you consume like a moth what is precious to us. Each of us is but a breath. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my cries for help. Don't ignore my tears, for I am your guest, a traveler passing through as my ancestors were before me. Leave me alone so I can smile again before I am gone and exist no more. Please take your seats. Now how real and how raw is that? I mean, even most laments in the Psalms end up beat, but not this one. Look at that final phrase. Leave me alone, God. 
so I can smile again before I am gone and I exist no more. And we're going to come back to verse 13 later, but that is bleak. In fact, it even sounds cynical. And it's no wonder there aren't too many sermons preached on Psalm 39. And the reason is that it's a psalm that shakes most people up a little. It doesn't sit that well alongside the much more optimistic, positive, feel-good lyrics of so many of the other psalms. For those of you who followed our recent Sunday evening series on Ecclesiastes, you'll remember that there was one word that kept occurring and reoccurring, and that was the word meaningless. And that as the searcher sized up life under the sun, he concluded, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless, or as another older translation captures it, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And it's a word that appears something like 38 times in his 12 chapters in Ecclesiastes. And here is the Hebrew word. Not even going to attempt to pronounce it, because apparently it sounds less like a word and more like a clearing of your throat. And you can translate it as various Bible translators have in several ways like meaningless or vanity or emptiness or futility or vapor or breath. And in Psalm 39, this is the summary word for human life that David uses if you look at your Bibles in verses 5 and verse 11. Here's what David says. Every man's life is but a breath. It's a this. That sound. And Warren Wearsby, in his commentary on Ecclesiastes, he talks about how one of his language professors at college defined this word as whatever is left after you break a soap bubble. So that's David's view of life. That's his perspective of life in Psalm 39. This is an alternative iTunes radiohead style. David is clearly not in a great place. This is not a good day whenever David wrote this. And I don't know if you ever have those sort of days. Or are Christians, particularly apparently strong Christians, not always meant to be optimistic? Are we not always meant to be positive and upbeat? Some commentators are quite convinced that this psalm emerged from a difficult period in David's life. Exactly when it relates to or what David was going through is unclear. But as an individual lament, what David does is he writes this out of the reality of his current circumstances. He writes it out of the realness of the struggles that he's going through. But as we approach this lament, let me highlight a really important point. You need to hear this as we begin. If this was our only psalm, or if every other psalm in the Psalter was like this, that would be worrying and disturbing. One of the exercises that I suggested you might do, right back in the 5th of July as we started this series, what I suggested you might do was to read all 150 psalms. I don't know how many of you have done that. It would take you two weeks if you read them for half an hour every day, roughly. Because one of the things you would discover if you read all of the Psalms 
is that they provide an incredibly accurate reflection of the whole scope of human life and experience, specifically human life and experience from a Christian perspective. The ups and downs, the highs, the lows, the joys and the frustrations. You may recall how someone described the Psalms as the book of mood swings. Because reading them will take you on a kind of emotional roller coaster. And even during this short summer series, as we have listened to eight alternative iTunes, as we have put eight of them on our playlists, we have encouraged the psalmist racked by guilt and repentant last week in Psalm 51. We have heard the psalmist give thanks to God for his goodness and his enduring love as Sally drew our attention to Psalm 107. We have listened to the psalmist's howl of despair as he recognized his disturbed and downcast soul that was in him in Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. We have admired the psalmist's commitment to place the Lord always before him so that he will be his constant focus as he did in Psalm 16. And I could go on and on, but the point is this, that the psalms reflect the whole range of human emotions, the whole range of human experience. You see, none of us feels exactly the same every day. And therefore, we need a prayer book. We need a soundtrack that is going to match real life. We need a prayer book that is going to capture the rich diversity of life. That is going to echo our praise, but is also going to hear our laments. And therefore, no matter where you're at this morning, or what season you happen to be passing through at the moment, you will almost definitely find within the Psalter a song and a prayer that can give voice to who you are and how you're feeling this morning, even though you may never acknowledge how you're really feeling to anybody else. You know, in two weeks' time, Roy will help us sing about the greatness of God. As we join David in Psalm 145 when he's clearly lost in wonder, love and praise. But today, on the day that he writes Psalm 39, he's not there. And there's some days you will come to church and your heart will just be bursting with praise. And you will want to sing of the greatness of God. And there are other days when maybe you won't even face coming to church because your heart is heavy. And there are two things that I find liberating and I find challenging and I find so encouraging about this. Is that firstly, even though David's gone through the mill, even though he is not in a good place, David is still fully alive. The reason David is fully alive is because he's got hope. And in answer to his own question in verse 7, have a look at it where he has cried, where is my hope? He immediately comes back and says, David, it says, my only hope, Lord, is in you. And the second thing that I find so encouraging is that the Bible does not silence the voices of doubt, the voices of confusion, the voices of anger towards God that often erupt from people of faith. And therefore, if you're here and this is a tough day and this is a difficult period in your life and you don't feel that great, then please know that you can express your lament, you can express your angst without abandoning your faith or your hope. And I know some of you might be thinking, hang on a minute, David, is there not a risk that this could become all too about and all too focused on our feelings? It's all about how I feel. And there's a real risk in going down that line, and that's true. It's a fair point. It's worth considering. But for me, 
The Psalms give me permission to voice my feelings appropriately to God because at the end of the day, God knows exactly where you're at this morning and how you feel. And so what I want us to do is attempt to unpack this in order to see, can we sense what is it that's weighing so heavy in David's heart? Can I identify with some of the things that have led David to this place? I don't know about you, but sometimes as a Christian, whenever I am in a difficult place, I often decide to bite my tongue. I often decide to stay quiet, to bottle it up, not to speak, to keep a lid on it, to say very little. And it's not a bad idea, and I know that there are, in fact, good biblical grounds for that, because James says later on in his epistle, take note of this, everyone should be slow to speak and quick to listen. And one of the reasons why that's such a good option is that it might save you from saying something you regret. I don't know if you've ever done that. I don't know if you have ever wished you'd opted for silence. But as a Christian, one of the additional concerns that you might have is this. If I actually said what I thought, if I always expressed how I really felt, what might my non-Christian friends and colleagues think? ever been there? Well, David seemed to be facing that dilemma. Look at verse 1. I said to myself, I will watch what I do and I will not sin in what I say. I will hold my tongue when the ungodly are around me. And there's real wisdom in that, isn't there? Because you see, David knew that there, are real, there is real power in words. He knows that what we say matters. Back to James or jump forward to James chapter 3 where he writes, the tongues of fire. It's a world of evil among the other parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person. It sets the course of your life on fire. In fact, it is itself set on fire by hell. I mean, words are that important. And the problem is that what's bugging David or what's weighing heavy on his heart needs to be verbalized. In fact, keeping quiet, as the psalm says, there isn't, even as he stood in silence, within him grew hotter and hotter, igniting a fire of words. He couldn't keep it to himself. Although he wanted to be quiet, although he didn't want to speak out of turn in front of the ungodly, he found he just could not do it. And so he bursts forth with words. And the more he thinks about the things that are weighing heavy in his heart, the more he realizes, I've got to say something. I cannot cope with this internal anguish and this internal turmoil. And it is really important that we don't constantly keep bottling up how we feel. But look with me at the first word in verse 4, if you've got a New Living Translation, or the first few words if you're looking at the NIV. The first word is Lord, or show me, O Lord. And now we're back to something that I referred to the week I spoke on Psalm 42 and 43. That David takes his concerns, he takes the burning issues of the moment, the struggles, the frustrations, and what does he do? He expresses them to God. He shares his lament with God, because he knows that his God is big enough, his God is under standing enough and as God is compassionate enough to be able to hear his heart cry, his honest heart cry. As he wrestles with his life, as he wrestles with concerns, as he wrestles with issues, he goes to God. David doesn't blank God. David doesn't ignore God. David doesn't turn his back on God. Instead, what does David do? He prays. And as Walter Brueggemann says, how wondrous that these laments make it clear that precisely such dimensions of life are the stuff of prayer. 
Do you know, sometimes on the darker days, what our tendency to do is this, that we cut all communication with God. Whenever we're going through the mill, we stop praying. Whenever we're not having a good day, we stop conversing with God. But based on David's example here and the very fact that we have the Psalms of Lament, can I encourage you to take the things and the situations that are churning you up inside and share them honestly with God. Make sure God is your first port of call as David did. Make sure God is your sounding board. You may decide to share some of those issues with others, but please make sure that you go to God first. But if you go back to the text You discover in verses 4, 5, and 6 three issues that cause David to feel the way he does. A dawning realization about the brevity of life, a frustration with the busyness of life, and an awareness of the problems surrounding money and possessions. And I want to suggest to you that the relevance of those issues is striking. And I'm sure there are many of us here, and we have found ourselves wondering and worrying about one or all of these at one time or another. David is struck by how brief his life is. Did you see how he described it? God, my life's no longer than the width of my hand. He's confronted with the speed of his life. He says, how fleeting is my life? Have you ever been there? And is it just me or do the years have this cruel ability to speed up the older you get? I can remember being at school whenever a year felt like a lifetime. And yet now... I can't believe we're almost at the end of the summer, 2009. Back in uh, 2002, Xbox, which is a a computer games console, it launched a TV ad. see some of you smiling, because some of you have seen me use this before. But it launched a TV ad that showed a baby being born. And then that baby was propelled through the air, and it was a baby boy. And as he flew through the air, you watched in this advert as he grew progressively older. And the ad only lasted 40 seconds. And at the end of it, as an old man, he landed or he crashed into an open grave. And then the screen went black and up came three words. Life is short. Followed quickly by two more words. Play more. And the ad was actually banned. And that's why I'm not showing it this morning. But it was very powerful because it captured the reality. Do you know something? This life flies by. And at times, David, like all of us, struggled with that. Slow down life. I want to get more out of it. I want to enjoy it more. I wish I'd done more. Been more places. David is at that place where he is frustrated with the brevity of his life. And I know sometimes, depending on where you're at in your life, when you're young, your whole life spreads out in front of you, but you know, the older you get, you raise this is passing me by far too quick. Secondly, as someone who was very busy doing a lot, David clearly had one of those days whenever he questioned the value and benefit of such a hectic lifestyle. Do you ever do that? We are merely moving shadows, said David, and all are busy rushing. Get this, ends in nothing. I wonder how many of us at various points at time look at our frantic schedules and think, what's the point? Why am I living life at breakneck speed? What am I really achieving here? 
So many are smiling at me. <laughs> I wish I could capture that on the screen. And finally, in true Ecclesiastes style, David admits that you can spend so much of your life accumulating lots, amassing wealth, and at the end of the day, you're not even sure who's going to spend it when you're gone. Who's going to benefit from it? We all know we can't take it with us, so somebody else is going to enjoy it. David's wondering, what's the point, God? And David comes to his God with all these very honest and very real thoughts, but then he asks the burning question, he asks the key question, he asks the significant question that we all need to ask, the eternally significant question, God, where is my hope? Where am I going to put my hope? In the midst of all of this, in the midst of the day that I'm in, where am I going to put my hope? And in response, he offers a statement of faith that I long to echo and that I strongly believe that our society needs to embrace. He says, my only hope is in you. And the psalmist declares his intention and he recognizes his need to place his hope, his ultimate hope in God. And so even though he's struggling, and even though this is not a good day, he still realizes that, God, you are my only source of hope. In other words, David remains a true man of faith. A faith that persists. A faith that deepens even on the duller days, the stormier days, the challenging days, the more confusing days of life. David says, my hope is still in you, God. My hope is still in you. But even having confirmed that his hope is in God, Look at verses 9, 10, and 11. David goes on to lament the fact that God is disciplining him for his sin. And he's finding that difficult to take. And he's saying, God, stop striking me. And then in verse 12, he urges God, God, please hear my prayer. Listen to my cries. Pay attention to these tears that are streaming down these cheeks of mine. And I don't know if you ever have days whenever you wondered, you know, Is God actually listening to me whenever I talk to him? And David clearly did. And so even though David has said, God, my only hope is in you, he still continues to struggle. And I find that refreshing and I find that renewing. Because I want to state this morning that my only hope is in God, but I still struggle. I still have issues. I still have darker days. And then we come to the final verse, verse 13. And you know, although it would be great to end on a positive note, like so many other laments, like lament number 42 and 43 did, they ended in such a positive note, but this one doesn't. Psalm 39 ends with a phrase that we'll probably not see in too many posters outside churches. We'll probably not see them cross-stitched, framed, and hanging over too many mantelpieces. Words that say, God, leave me alone so I can smile again before I am gone and exist no more. Great. Thanks, David. Really glad we came to this psalm this morning. But as we close, I'm not going to say anything about that. I'm really not because I don't think it, I don't think it warrants me saying anything. I know sometimes we want, let's tie this up quickly, David. We need to go somewhere with that. That's how this day ends for him. He effectively says, God, get lost. Can you say that to God? Can you say, God, leave me alone so I can smile again before I'm gone and exist no more? But as we close, please remember two things. 
Psalm 39 days will occur. But see, even when they do, pray. Pray. Even then, you can express faith. You can confirm to a world in need of hope that despite the dark days of life, our only hope is still in God. And secondly, Psalm 39 days sit alongside Psalm 23 days. The Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. Psalm 39 days sit alongside Psalm 145 days. Great is the Lord, most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. Psalm 39 days sit alongside Psalm 136 days. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. And the question, and some of us might be asking this yet, David, but what does it actually mean to hope in God? Well, for me to hope in God, or part of it, is to know God. To know that he is our shepherd. To know that he is great. To know that his love never fails. So, can I encourage you to be honest with God? Because many of the Psalms, and Psalm 39 is just one example, they give us that permission. But be honest knowing that your only hope is in knowing this amazing God. Where is your hope this morning?